0: Hello and welcome back to Nerds Amalgamated. I'm the professor and my co-host is the DJ. How are you going, DJ?
1: I'm going good. Surviving through the corona craziness. It's getting worse and worse by the minute.
0: It's not that coronavirus is getting worse. It's that people's reactions are... Because people are starting to take it more seriously.
1: Yeah, to the point where so many events are getting cancelled.
0: Yeah, it's not that people weren't taking it seriously before. They were still going out and being idiots and buying all the toilet paper. But now now more people are doing that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, which is even
0: worse. Events are shutting down, which is sensible. Yeah, The best way to stop the spread is to stop people getting in contact with each other.
1: Yeah, E3 uh, was the biggest one this week, Hey,
0: yeah. E3's now being cancelled.
1: Can you believe it? You and I called it the other day.
0: I honestly don't think there was anyone who didn't call it. Yeah. Oh, I was seeing a discussion about this a couple of weeks ago when GDC was cancelled. It's yeah. the, the right thing to do, honestly.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, then the uh, then even today, um, Tom Hanks has been tested positive for coronavirus. Can you believe it? Yeah. But he's in good spirits, so... Yeah,
0: yeah well, it's not... Like, a huge risk if you're fairly young. Tom Hanks is starting to get a bit old and is probably in one of the higher risk groups, but it's not a huge risk unless you already have a respiratory illness or you're over sixty.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: But it's important to not go and spread it because you don't want everyone to get it and carry it to the people who are vulnerable.
1: Oh, uh, did you hear about the news that today with the um, the guy who got tested positive of coronavirus and he goes to a nightclub? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, why?
0: Aren't you glad you don't have a life so you not exposed to that, DJ?
1: <laughs> and then apparently I heard another, another story where another guy got tested positive and he went to a rugby game.
0: That's some. Um... Big brain logic there. <laughs> anyway, our first topic this week is about a new overlapping coding sequence in human DNA. I didn't know this was a thing until this article came out. Apparently, it's uh, been known for a long time. But the scientists have been investigating a new overlapping coding sequence in uh, the POLG gene which is on chromosome 15 and encodes polymerase Y. I think the Y they're using is a Greek letter, but I don't recognize it. Mm -hmm. So polymerase Y is responsible for replication and repair of mitochondrial DNA. And mutations in pole G are the most common single gene causes of mitochondria, of mitochondrial diseases. So what it turns out is that when they're reading DNA, they read this one section as Paul G, but Paul G starts at point A and finishes at point B. Then there's points in between that also code for different genes. So you read from inside pool G or from inside pool G out to another section and get an entirely different gene, which I had no idea was a thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, the DNA coding sequences and genome are constantly evolving, and this is an interesting evolution, to put it mildly.
0: And um, I imagine it's more important in bacteria and viruses because they're already dealing with a limited... uh, set of limited code length so part of what uh adaptation to antibiotics does for bacteria is cause it to lose resistance to another set of antibiotics or to another treatment because the bacteria evolves to only um evolves to code for defense against say penicillin class antibiotics but there's not enough dna in a bacterium for it to code for penicillin class And uh, and another class at the same time. So, um, antibiotics resistance is also a bit of a working around to make the uh, use the most effective antibiotic until it becomes ineffective, and switching over to another. Yeah, which is good news for uh, antibiotic resistance, which is a big issue. But hopefully, eventually, we'll have enough classes of uh, antibiotic that it's not really an issue anymore.
1: Yeah, I also like the. Emphasis on the mitochondrial DNA in this in, in this resort in this report.
0: Yeah. So, um, as I said, this uh, Pol G um, that they are investigating is responsible for a lot of mitochondrial diseases. Hmm. So I don't know what uh what implication the overlapping DNA will have on preventing mitochondrial diseases or treating them, but yeah, say um, it's there. And
1: yeah, um. Th- just reading through some of the some of the discussion, and some were saying that, given the poly, poly G mutations are most prevalent single gene causes of mitochondrial diseases, and there is a lack of any evidence based therapies, understanding translation dynamics of its mRNA is important. Yep. Yep. In addition, mutations in G has been implicated in Parkinsonism related symptoms and potentially accelerated aging. That's interesting. Yeah. So in, in term in things like these, we can understand how diseases can work in term in in terms of cycles. And um, what else do they say in the discussion? All known uh, complete human transcripts of Paul G uh, they include ORF um, dash Y also include several splice junctions. So so there's a lot of jar- There's a lot of scientific jargon.
0: Yeah, it's it a very is, dense paper.
1: Yeah, a very very dense paper. But um, the conclusions they've come up with this one is basically there's only a handful of known dual coding regions in the human genome that have such length and maintain both ORFs in different reading frames for the length of each ORF. They're interesting in um, due to the clinical relevance of pole G.
0: Ah, here we go. So the character they're using is gamma. So it's polymerase gamma. Yeah. I uh, didn't pick up on that because they're using lowercase gamma. <laughs>
1: Although I will say this uh, this might be an interesting um aspect of the human genome code that could be further researched on.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I wonder what um if there's anything that's coded for in an overlapping region but isn't actually produced. Like some vestigial DNA feature that um would probably cause wacky mutations if you turned it on. But
1: <laughs> Can you imagine the mutations that we're coming at? Oh, dear Lord.
0: Yeah, have you ever seen that fly with eyes where its legs should be?
1: Oh, no, no. That's Don't the sort think... of
0: thing that happens when you play with
1: DNA. I did recall the, the mouse with the ear.
0: That was, uh, I think, surgical. They implanted a... Uh, a Frame for an ear on the mouse to grow tissue on it.
1: Uh, here we go. The Vacanti mouse it's called. That, that that mouse just yeah. looks freaky looking. It Even does,
0: some- but yeah. So that was um cow shaped cartilage cow cartilage shaped into an ear shape and implanted under the skin of the mouse with an external ear shaped splint to maintain the shape. So it's a cool trick, but um, it's not really playing with DNA. Okay. Yeah, it's useful for like um, transplants and stuff.
1: Yeah they've also been talking they've also looked, talking about the animals that have um, that have the pole G sequence containing conserved uh, CUG codon. Um, so except for camel uh, camelus ferus, which is the camel, three marsupial species, the wombatus uracinus. The Pascularitos cineris, which is the koala monodelphius domestica, the opossum. A smart marsupial species, the Sarcophilus harisi, the Tasmanian devil has a CUG code on the correct frame, but the surrounding sequence is dissimilar to all other mammals.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I'm not sure what the implications of that are, but it's an interesting fact.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So our next uh, topic for tonight is the australian parliamentary committee recommending loot box regulation so loot boxes have been in all the news for the last couple of years and a couple of countries uh belgium china a handful of others have brought in regulation about it yeah but um the parliamentary committee uh who produced the protecting the age of innocence report are now recommending loot box regulation and Age verification for purchases towards simulated gambling in games.
1: God, I love it when they make those. You know, they make when they make the title of the reports sound cool.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, the title of it is basically "Think of the children."
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: But I think it's a um, a big issue. It's uh, an example of where a, a free market has failed to self regulate. So the government has to step in because they're just taking advantage of people.
1: Do you reckon it's scary though? I mean, I I might have said this before in a couple of episodes earlier on. Like, do you really want the government to step into the games industry at this point?
0: I don't want them to, but sometimes they have to. Yeah. If the industry won't do what it should, the government has to come in and tell them to do it.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just it's such a shame that the industry that's supposed to police itself does. Slips up like this, and now you got gov- government coming in and implementing these harsh rules.
0: Are they harsh though? I don't I think mean, they've recommended particular rules, um, other than age verification.
1: Yeah, what are the other ones? They've also developed a new standard for online age very verification,
0: which you know, I'll be impressed if it works. <laughs> I
1: basically, mean,
0: basically, the only way to do age verification is to get someone to send you their ID. I
1: mean, people. That's the thing though because people lie on age verifications like how, yeah like, like people, it, will say, people will go like are you actually 18 do you reckon the odd kids going to be honest enough to to do it though
0: No they're not but it does give the um, it's basically a warning to the developers stop targeting kids with your microtransactions because mm-hmm. you're taking advantage of the children and this is a way that if they have, if there's a kid's game targeting kids with microtransactions, the government can now bring this up and say, you're not taking reasonable steps to not take advantage of children here. That's basically the point of this. It's not enforceable. It's not, right, they can do age verification, but probably not, it's probably not enforceable that way. But what is enforceable is whether the company is trying to take advantage of kids by doing it. So mm-hmm. microtransactions in a Disney game, like Disney Infinity, targeted at kids, obviously. The government can say that's not okay. Microtransactions in Mortal Kombat, obviously not targeted at kids. Kids are going to get their hands on Mortal Kombat anyway because parents yeah. are awful at reading the, um, the ESRB and Peggy ratings. But that's what happens. Kids get their hands on things they shouldn't all you can do is make it less appealing for the kids to get their hands on it's the same as uh it's partially the same as hiding the cigarettes in the uh, checkout
1: oh yeah yeah With the, the plain theory packaging. behind
0: yeah the theory behind the plain packaging and um single color is that the bright colors aren't um appealing to children anymore and it works the rate of smoking has dropped since then.
1: Speaking of um games and bright colours, how funny was last year with the um, NBA game that, had, that a lot, uh, got a lot of flack for all the uh, loot boxes and the gambling involved in that game?
0: Yeah, and now um, Dead or Alive is
1: doing it. Oh, yeah, with the whole um pay a dollar for...
0: Yeah, pay a dollar to change the colour of your hair. <laughs> so now it's not even pay a couple of bucks to buy a costume like in most other games it's pay a dollar to change the color of your hair (laughs) that's just extortive i'm not a fan of that
1: oh that that was scummy when they did that
0: yeah yeah
1: do you reckon these do you reckon um all of these recommendations will pass through
0: not all of them the government is awful at taking recommendations even from their own committees like, there was a Senate inquiry into the uh, video game industry funding a few years ago. Nothing happened. The, the Senate came out, like, years ago, there was funding for the games industry. It got shut down. The Senate did a review and said, actually, that was a bad idea. Check this out. It's a huge, hugely economically beneficial. And the government was just like, so what? Not going to, who cares?
1: Yeah, I'm... Some some of the some of the bits are interesting as well. Uh, it says it also says evidence shows young people are often exposed to online gambling by their parents or guardians, and calls for more resources to be put towards raising awareness about the risks and harms on online gambling, as well as how parents can create safer online environments for their children.
0: Yeah, that's how it goes.
1: Yeah, I I I agree that it has to be more resources, but I think the onus has to go from to the parents and the kids. So it comes down to personal responsibility in the end.
0: It should, but having it on the parents doesn't stop the companies from taking advantage of vulnerable people. Mm. That's what this is about, protecting the vulnerable.
1: Yeah. yeah. It, um, I, I've i got a question to ask you, though, from, from, as a game developer. Whenever you see news like this, do you ever go like, it uh, makes it even harder to create a game at times?
0: Sometimes. But there's a lot of things that... Game developers work within the boundaries of anyway. So um, classification: a game that's rated 18 plus sells uh, even a movie rated 18 plus sells a lot less than a movie or game rated even M or M fifteen. So you're already working within the limits there. It's just another thing to keep an eye on. But unfortunately, this um, this inquiry doesn't actually recommend further action. Uh, sorry, actually, I'm looking at a different inquiry. Uh, they say this article is a bit ambiguous. Just a second.
1: Basically, other members of the inquiry are not, they don't want further action. Yeah, so and there's
0: been a couple of inquiries over the last few years.
1: Yeah, yeah. I like it how it's, to support the argument for it, they used the UK's um, call for loot boxes. And we all know how that panned out. <laughs> how did it go? Uh, no response. And remember, e th- remember when EA was called up for that, um... For oh, that so,
0: one? so they the UK had these recommendations, but didn't actually take action.
1: No. like they said, they should uh, there has there should be a ban, and that's and nothing else happened.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's government for you. <laughs> you can hit them in the face and tell them all the the things that are supposed to happen and what makes them good, but the government doesn't listen.
1: Yeah. Although the although the UK's um. In- the UK's inquiry was pretty hilarious. Remember the EA um, debacle? And how they, through. The whole um, surprise mechanisms.
0: A sense of pride and accomplishment. <laughs> I can't even... I was watching some old documentary or something, and it had that phrase in it. I can't even <laughs> take that seriously anymore. Thanks, EA. <laughs>
1: Uh, it wasn't as bad. It, it was not as bad as the following statement from another EA person that said, "Oh, it's like baseball cards." Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that was the beautiful part about this whole inquiry with the loot boxes. I, I know, as 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 stupid as it sounds, <laughs> it does open the eyes to a lot of gamers and game developers and other and to a lot. Of game um gaming fans going yeah these companies don't really care about us they just want money
0: well one no shit (laughs) two yeah it's um i hope that things like this will help people it will help raise awareness so people know to go with companies that respect them like i hope that um look if i end up working for any big game development companies one day I'll probably have to go with that, uh, go with blue boxes, but I'd like to think that at least as an indie, I can do what I can to make sure my monetization is respectful of the, the player. Yeah, yeah. And if I ever do make an indie game full of blue boxes and crap, Someone please take that out of context and wrap it around a bat and come and hit me with it. I mean, not take it out of context, but you know, just print it out and come and send me daily letters with it. Just remind me that I've become a horrible person.
1: <laughs> it's like you're a seller.
0: <laughs> you're yeah. Make you're sure sold. I know it. <laughs> yes, make sure I know I'm a set out. If I ever sell help, make sure I know it. Don't let me live it down. But speaking of sellouts, our next topic is about yet another remake.
1: <laughs> oh, but this this is not no ordinary remake though.
0: Or is it? <laughs> what is this remake, DJ?
1: Oh <laughs> so we're getting a new Mrs. Doubtfire, but but here's the button: this. It won't be in any streaming series. It won't be a movie. It will be a Broadway musical stage.
0: Do you mean a Broadway stage musical?
1: Yeah. Well, it says musical stage production, but.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. So the person that's going to be playing as Mrs. Doubtfire um, is going to be played by Rob McClure, who has originally played as Beetlejuice, the musical as the as the role of Adam and he performed and he won the twenty thirteen Tony Award for his performance in the title role of the musical *Chaplin*. So the first pictures have been um are out and they look um very different to the old Mrs. Doubtfire.
0: I mean they've got the costume right for the Robin Williams version.
1: Yeah. What do you think of the new one though?
0: It's obviously not Robin Williams, but the um it's they've got thirty years of extra practice with prosthetics yeah which this article actually talks about apparently they've basically got a uh, erasing pit crew backstage so that they can give them a full makeover within 18 seconds
1: <laughs> that's a that that would be amazing if that <laughs> works
0: yeah, it's um if they do the entire thing with just the one actor playing um, Mrs. Stalfire and the guy, then they've got to do the changes in real time, which that would be interesting to see, just to watch the uh, the crew do the makeover.
1: It's like get the wig, get the makeup, yeah, get the body enhancements,
0: because they can't, you know, the actor says that they can't take five hours between te- takes while they change um, costumes.
1: Yeah. I mean I I will say this bravo McClure, <laughs> you you've taken a very very big big challenge imagine like in the in that costumes under big big spotlights that must be oh
0: yeah stage lights are not fun
1: yeah hot and, hot and sweating and oh in front of people as well that must be even worse yeah yeah, and also um, this stage production will also feature a book by Carrie Patrick and John O'Farrell, and um, yeah, this will be an interest. This is interesting how it's a remake, but it's not a remake of sorts. How
0: is it not a remake?
1: Well, you don't see Dis- you don't see uh, Disney going. All right, we're going to change the bits and pieces of the scene. We're going. All right. So you yeah. think
0: it's going to be more faithful than uh, more recent remakes?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I hope so. I mean, it's not hard to do a better remake than The Lion King, but hopefully this is it.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, if it's a musical, there is going to be dancing.
1: Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> That's like, going to happen. They don't that. just That's have
0: gonna... to do a makeover. They have to do a makeover that can hold up the dancing.
1: <laughs> the makeup is going to be tough on him as well during that during that stage.
0: Yeah, I don't know if it, um, I really don't know how, uh, if it makes it harder or easier, but, um, stage makeup tends to be really thick and heavy because they're just trying to even it all out because you're going to be under the, um, the lights.
1: Yeah. Can you imagine after the whole performance, he, um, Rob McClure gets out of the costume and goes, all right, I need a Sestrin hit.
0: Wait, right, what does Sestrin do?
1: Um, it charges up the body. It's like, um... Boosts up the body again.
0: Oh, yeah. We did talk about that a couple of months ago, didn't we?
1: Yep.
0: I like the comments on this article, though. A bunch of people whinging about how it doesn't look like, and it doesn't look exactly like Robin. <laughs> no, I think the, um, like, this is just a pr- promo pic, but I think it looks pretty good. Yeah. How yeah. dare they disrespect his memory? <laughs> 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 look, this isn't the first time a movie has been remade after the lead actor died
1: yeah yeah that's true sure there's there's and, another promo pick of the um of the whole family and I don't know i I, I don't know I really can't see it
0: uh I think it'll look fine on stage Like it probably looks a bit uncanny valley because it's a, a promo pick he's heavily he's got heavy makeup and prosthetics but when you're looking at it moving and on stage it'll look better yeah. So what have you been playing this week, DJ?
1: Um, I've been playing Walking Simulator, and yes, that is actually a game that came out... Um... Yeah,
0: no, I'm aware that it's a, a genre made famous by games like um, Theoressa and uh, Gone Home, but um, now that they've actually got a, a game called Walking Simulator how is it
1: <laughs> it's basically death stranding but with that the kojima works
0: so no creepy baby <laughs>
1: no
0: ghost things
1: no ghost things no no stupid stories um there are certain elements of death stranding you see in this game as well like the whole carrying everything on your backpack um
0: yeah it looks a bit goat simulator-ish yeah, like looking at the the trailer, that's um, it's got a lot of wacky physics.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, you and also it, um, operates on the in-game currency for this game is basically how many likes you can get. Okay and, then. Yeah, you get more likes by um, collecting parcels while walking to a certain distance. And with the number of likes accumulated as well, you can you can gather some gadgets, like, for example, a rocket pack, a, sno- um, a snowmobile, a truck.
0: I was going to ask, um, considering this is free to play, is it worth getting over Death Stranding? Death Stranding on PC is a 100 flipping, flipping
1: bucks. <laughs> See, this is, but like I said, this is without the, this is without the kojima craziness (laughs)
0: yeah like i get that games are more expensive to make now and the price hasn't kept up with the cost to make it but a hundred flipping bucks for a game that's already been out for over a year
1: (laughs) but he and the other crazy thing with death stranding um in general the amount of hype that came after the game was released was just like not nothing happened
0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: The, nothing. Nothing like you don't hear an ad. You don't hear a promo. It was just after the game. Nothing. Okay. Yeah. Like no hype whatsoever. No. No. Was like, wow, Kojima's game was awesome. This should be a award winning game and stuff. But nothing.
0: Yeah. I don't know if it's um the sort of thing that you know. You I don't know if Death Stranding has a wide enough appeal to be a game of the year.
1: Yeah.
0: But, um, <laughs> and um, I might we... give this look just because it's cheaper and it's uh looks silly.
1: Yeah. Oh, and the, by minutes. the way, the plots even the um. The, the plot's even hilarious for the walking simulator. What is the plot? The year is 2020. World War Three and the coronavirus destroyed the civilized world. You are the last post-carrier tasked to get parcels from point A to point B in the most barren and desolate planet places on Earth.
0: Okay, yeah. I mean, you're in the Himalayas or something, so...
1: It's Antarctica. Okay. Yeah. And the other elements of Death Stranding that they have are, um, is the peop- the scavengers as well. That would yeah. um that, that would hinder your path, basically.
0: I see one of the screenshots is a guy with, like, a double-ended lightsaber.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised Kojima has not seen this. <laughs> it just went, hello, lawsuit. Well, I've been playing
0: uh, Black Mesa.
1: Oh, nice. I
0: reckon it's the best remake ever made.
1: How many years production has this game been in for, though?
0: About 15.
1: So 15 years in the making, and you finally get it.
0: Yeah, but it's so absolutely loving the amount of effort they put into it. From like, so I spent 15 years or so working on a remake of uh, Half Life from 1998, and they put so much attention into it. It's, um, there's only a, a couple of issues that I've had with it, mm-hmm. a couple of game breaking bugs. One, I had a AI get um, stuck on a wall when he was supposed to be walking to the the door to open it for me. Another, I fell through a lift as it was going up. And the last uh, game breaking bug I've had is a section of Zen where you have to jump across a gap. Well, I jumped the gap, missed the other side. It auto saves with me in midair. And (laughs) I got stuck in a loop because it
1: uh,
0: overwrote my auto saves. And I realized I hadn't saved in a few hours. Luckily, I could restart at the beginning of the chapter, but that wasn't fun. But apart from that, it's so... I don't know how to describe it. It's so good.
1: So are there any changes to the, um, to the overall Half-Life plot?
0: No, it's still got all the same story beats. They, um, they cut out like 90% on a rail. It used to be that you'd spend like an hour going around on a train, but now it's about 10 minutes. Um, they also shortened surface tension, which um, were the two chapters that people thought were the weakest in the original game. But some people have gone and made mods to add it back in.
1: Mm. How's the uh, creature design for this game? Better can- or...?
0: Like, it's all incredibly faithful to the original design, but it's so... They've had to go and um, like, obviously they've had to make changes because things you can get away with in 640 by 480 don't work in HD graphics, but they've, um, everything makes sense or the little additions, like even things that you wouldn't notice normally, like, uh, hound eyes now have a, a beak under their body where they eat. And that's just, you know, it's so well put together. Yeah so i reckon i'm most of the way through zen i probably don't have too far to go and i'll wrap it up this weekend but um
1: what so uh, the biggest flaws for you is the ai and the
0: um no the ai is generally good this case it was a um a scripted sequence that failed yeah the other issue is that, um, well, I fell through the floor of the lift. Actually, that's happened twice to me now. So lifts are a bit buggy. Um, but it's been a long time since I've played anything made with so much passion.
1: And after 15 years, it's worth it.
0: Yeah. And I think if, you, um, if you've never played Half-Life, you should play Black Mesa. Because even if it, um, like it's a remake, but it still feels like a game that could have been released. In the last couple of years,
1: yeah. Could you could you actually see um, Black um, Black Mesa um, have a sequel?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I reckon it could. It'll take about eight years to release, and they'll call it Half Life Two. <laughs> um, I wouldn't hold out hope for a another Half Life remake, just because this took so long, and Half Life Two still holds up pretty well today. Um, it holds up a lot better than Half Life One does. Yeah. But um, I'm hoping that now this is out, the teams working on the Blue Shift and opposing force remakes are able to take some inspiration from it. Or I don't know if the licensing allows them to use the um, use assets from Black Mesa. Yeah. But I hope that they can get their their work out as well.
1: So, how many nerdy beanies would you give Black Mesa out of? Ten out of five. Oh, that's a big score. <laughs> yep. Two out of five. <laughs> My one, I would give it a four out of five, just to you know, because <laughs> it's it, it's a it's better than it's better than Death Stranding, and I don't know, and it's not trip it's not as trippy as.
0: <laughs> it's better than Death Stranding, do you think? Yeah. <laughs> Even though it's a, a joke game.
1: Yep. <laughs> okay. Hey, it's good. Hey, Hey, I'm... Um... I just loved walking simulator. It was fine. It had chill music and, and, and no and no You can go outside
0: stuff. and get exactly the same experience. <laughs> if you get hit by a car, you will even ping off into the distance, just like the game.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Actually, there's one thing. Um, a couple of graphics options were disabled uh, for the full release. Mm -hmm. The main one is the weapon grime system. So things can splatter onto your gun and get washed off when you dive into water.
1: Oh, nice. That got
0: cut out because apparently it was causing um, FPS issues for some people. But um, you can re-enable it through the the console. So I recommend doing that because it's just a really nice effect. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, um, I haven't played Black Mesa since the... uh, the early access version back in 2015, when the website, the torrent tracker, and other people's websites re-hosting it all crashed. Oh. Yeah. The, it was so popular that everything crashed. <laughs> but, um...
1: At, at, least with this, at least with Black Mesa, it, it delivered. It, had a, it, it delivered after 15 years of making it, and you're liking it. And yeah. And I'm hope and it's better than what's happening with StarCon.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, um, the um, anyway, the I didn't really notice any FPS issues, and I played on a laptop, like a fairly high end laptop, but it was a few years old at the time. Uh, I got the laptop in 2012, and it uh, only had an integrated graphics card. I don't remember having too many graphics issues, even with yeah. the uh, weapon grime on. So I think. Try turning it on. If it doesn't work, you can turn it off. Yeah, yeah. So on to our shout outs for this week. On the 7th of March, L. Pomerantz passed away. He was an Emmy-winning television writer who wrote for the Mary Tyler Moore show, the Bob Newhart show, Ronda – sorry, is that Ronda or Rhoda?
1: Rhoda.
0: Rhoda, okay. The Tony Randall show, Phyllis Taxi Cheers, and The Cosby Show. He was creative, uh, creator and executive producer on Ma- Major Dad and Best of the West. He um, won two Emmys, one in 76 for writing on the Lily Tomlin special, and one in 1985 for The Cosby Show. In his final blog post, he expressed gratitude towards his audience. He died at the age of 75. On the 8th of March, Max von Sydow passed away. He was the actor who starred in Seven Seal and The Exorcist, he studied at the Royal Dramatic Theatre, so he was. Um, his career lasted more than six decades. He was in June, The Exorcist as the priest, um, Hannah and her sisters. He earned two Oscar nominations: Best Actor nod in nineteen eighty nine for Pele, the Conqueror; Best Supporting Actor in twenty twelve for Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. He was also in Flash Gordon and The Force Awakens,
1: and The Three Eyed Raven of Thrones. Uh, He was in everything. Oh, he's a legend. He's a
0: legend. I want to know who he was in June because I don't recognize him from that.
1: Um, Dr. Kynes. Oh, yes. That's it. Yeah, Liet Kynes. Um, Yeah.
0: I recognize that face now. So he uh, died at 90. On the 9th of March, 2020, the World Record Smurf Gathering was held in France Three and a half thousand people uh, smashed the record set last year in Germany, and um, apparently they only just got it in before France banned gatherings of more than a thousand people due to coronavirus.
1: It'll be broken.
0: Yeah, like give it another year, someone's going to beat the uh, beat the record again because yeah. they've been going backwards and forwards for a couple of years now.
1: Yeah, I like the some of the quotes they've said here, like. We figured that we figured we won't worry, and that as French people, we won't give up on our attempt to break the record. That's one person saying it. Another one saying, "Now we're the champions of the world. There's no risk. No, there's no risk. We're Smurfs." I like yes, this one though. We
0: do- mm-hmm. We're going to Smurferize the coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm sure that'll be great when you're Smurfing your lungs up, but. <laughs> <laughs> you know people are going to have fun oh
1: yeah yeah
0: i just hope that the um, no one there had coronavirus
1: oh that would have been a that would be bad
0: yeah um so on the 10th of march 1982 as a remembrance uh minoru shirota a japanese microbiologist so in the 1920s he identified a strain of lactic acid bacteria called lactobacillus casei shirota it was later reclassified as lacto, Lactobacillus paracassi shirota. He founded the company Yekult Hon- Honcha in 1935 to sell Yekult beverages containing uh, Lactobacillus shirota. He died at 82 in Tokyo.
1: From dysentery. <laughs> yeah, which... um. You know, that's
0: a, what happens when you, can happen when your gut bacteria is messed up, so.
1: (laughs) Kind of, it feels like an ironic death. It kind of is. (laughs) It's like, in a weird sense of irony, he died from dysentery.
0: Yeah. Yeah, here's the article, um, on Wikipedia says that in 2006, um, a panel uh, found sufficient evidence to justify claims that drinking at least one bottle of yoghurt per day might help improve bowel movements for people who tend to be constipated, and might help maintain a healthy population of gut flora. Oh man! Yeah, so um, I hope it uh, it actually works.
1: But... Although it's funny how like even later on they're still trying to make, trying to um, they're still trying to figure out that your cult is a fake drink even after all these years.
0: Yeah, so um, I can see here that in 2013 they um, had an advertisement banned in the UK because um, they didn't provide a specific reference claim of health benefits.
1: Kind of reminds me of that Ribena um, discovery.
0: Oh, yeah. That was pretty
1: up. funny when that came out.
0: Yeah, they claimed that they had a. Uh, high vitamin C levels, but when they got around to actually testing it, they don't.
1: It was also by a couple of school students, if I recall.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, being shown up by some some teenagers.
1: <laughs> yeah, here we go. The uh, minute to 15 charges on misleading advertising between 2002 and 2006 in a suit filed by the Commerce Commission, a consumer watchdog after a 2004 school science project.
0: <laughs> Oops.
1: I can imagine, like, Ribena going, and I would have gotten away with all those meddling kids. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, on the um, 10th of March 2012, uh, F. Sherwood Rowland, the American Nobel Laureate and Professor of Chemistry, died at 84 in California. So, Rowland theorized that man-made organic compound gases combined with radiation and decompose in the stratosphere, releasing atoms of chlorine and carbon monoxide that are individually able to destroy large numbers of ozone molecules. In short, CFCs are bad.
1: (laughs) That's true, that's true.
0: Yeah, so this was the research that led to the banning of CFCs, which um, now the ozone is actually mostly recovered, I believe. Yeah. And on the same day, Bert R. Balkin, the American aeronautical engineer who is best known for his role in building the Hubble Telescope,
1: I like his um, I, I I like his description his description of the event when the telescope was launched. It's like watching your mother-in-law go over a cliff in your brand new Cadillac.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it must be hard to hand over such a uh, precision piece of engineering to someone who's going to accelerated at like 17 g's i think throw it around and launch it into space and i like that when they asked him what they hoped to see with it he said god <laughs> i think they're still looking but that would be uh pretty creepy actually you know um you know in cartoons when someone's looking through binoculars and then someone pops up at the end and you just see eyeballs yep <laughs> imagine like the first image from the hubble comes back it's just an eyeball <laughs> He died at 82 in California on the 10th of March, 1923. Val Logston Fitch, he was an American nuclear physicist who, with James Cronin, was awarded the 1980 Nobel Prize in Physics for an experiment using the alternating gradient synchrotron at Brookhaven National Laboratory that proved that certain subatomic reactions did not adhere to the fundamental symmetry principles.
1: It's pretty good.
0: (laughs) I like all this jargon here. (laughs) <laughs> by examining the decay of K. Mesa that a reaction run in reverse does not retrace the path of the original reaction this uh, demolished the faith that physicists have symmetry and he participated in the drop testing of mock atomic bombs and worked at the Trinity site where he witnessed the Trinity test in 1945 he was born in Merriman, Nebraska And on the tenth of March, nineteen forty, we have Chuck Norris, Carlos Ray Norris, the American martial artist, actor, film producer, and screenwriter, who was in the U.S. Air Force and founded his own discipline, chun kuk Do. He is a black belt in Tang Soo Do, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, and Judo.
1: Uh, most, uh, a lot of people will remember Chuck Norris from not only from his works with Bruce Lee in the movie, in the movie The Way of the Dragon, but also in Walker, Texas Ranger. This is the- Last film that he made was up to date was the Expendables 2. To others, he was also famous for the um, Chuck Norris Facts, which became an internet meme documenting humorous, fictional, and often absurd feats of strength and endurance.
0: Yeah, and you know what? Um, you know who was so terrified of Chuck Norris and killed himself? The Cobra Hitler. (laughs) <laughs> Hitler killed himself 11 days before Chuck Norris was born, I believe Is the, uh, how the meme goes Actually, no, that doesn't make any sense The meme makes no sense, DJ How could Hitler have killed himself in 1940? Okay, so Chuck Norris was five years old And Hitler saw him and was like, nope That must be the meme, we must be remembering it wrong It's been a long time
1: uh, some of these facts are amazing, though. I mean, was, there was one of there was one personal favorite is the cobra right, that was in the Expendables. Um, so I heard so the line goes: I heard a rumor that you were bitten by King Cobra, which um, which Chuck Norris responds, "Yeah, I was." And he added, "But after five days of agonizing pain, the cobra died."
0: <laughs> yeah, nice they included a little nod to that in the movie. Yeah. So on the tenth of March, nineteen forty-nine. Bill Buxton was born. He was a Canadian computer scientist and designer. So he is currently a principal researcher at Microsoft Research, and he's known for being a pioneer in human-computer interaction. He pioneered multi-touch interfaces and music composition tools in the late 1970s. So multi-touch didn't really hit the civilian world until the mid-2000s. That's how far ahead this guy was. Yeah. On the 10th of March 1956... Robert Llewellyn was born. He's famous for playing Crichton in Red Dwarf.
1: Yeah. His um, involvement with it was um, after his appearance at at Edinburgh Festival Fringe, where um, he he performed in the comedy.
0: That's um, interesting, actually. His (laughs) comedy that he got picked up from was uh, Robot Born of. Sorry, Mammon, Robot Born of Woman, a comedy show about a robot who becomes more human and behaves increasingly badly, (laughs) which is. (laughs) Crichton.
1: It reminds me of that Red Dwarf episode as well.
0: Yeah, that's uh, the one where he becomes human.
1: Yeah, yeah, that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, um, but I like how I like his um the whole how he got into Crichton suit. Where he's like in the early days Red Dwarf, he would arrive doing makeup many many hours before the rest of the actors, and he said, um, as time progressed, his fellow actors having a little bit more help with the makeup department than they used to, and. Yeah. Yeah, and also Luella mentioned that he would need a special pair of glasses to be able to read the script with the Crichton mask on.
0: Well, Rimmer and Lister aren't as young as they used to be.
1: No. Oh, crazy, crazy thing, though. Um, when Red Dwarf first came back after a long hiatus, uh, one of the guys did an interview with Lister. And surprisingly, the jacket still fits Lister after all these years. Which
0: um, which hiatus though?
1: The first hiatus, the one that came okay. back after the Back to the Earth specials.
0: Wasn't that one before that too? There was like one in the uh, in the early like the original run of it. They had a, a break of a year or something because um, Lister was falsely accused and spent a while in jail.
1: Oh yeah, that was another. Yeah, no, that that was afterwards. Okay. So, Red Dwarf X was the, was the one that. Um... No, here we go. So, um, series one and two were
0: 1988. Series three was 1989. Then there was a gap till 1991 until 1993. Then another gap till 1997. Another gap 1999. Another gap 2009. Another one 2012. Another one to 2016 and 2017. And then they've just announced the other day the promised land. Will they finally reach Fujo?
1: (laughs) Oh, that would be funny. (laughs) Was it Fujo?
0: I think they called it Fujo. um, It's the the cat's mythology. (laughs) Their god Lister will come to take them back to Fujo.
1: There we go. I found the the interview.
0: Yeah, so there's been a lot of breaks, but, you know, they're back again.
1: (laughs) I can't wait for the new season.
0: Yes, I hope it's good.
1: Yeah, yeah. And also, um, to continue on with uh, Llewellyn, um, in Red Dwarf, he worked hard to get the more technically difficult lines right because the show tried to be factually accurate in reference to the scientific theories.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: And he was also the only British cast member originally to participate in the American version of Red Dwarf.
0: Yes, we don't talk about that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that was a very terrible sh- pilot episode. Oh,
0: the whole thing was awful.
1: Ah, oh, tell me about it.
0: So, the events of interest for this week on the tenth of March, two hundred and forty-one BC, the Battle of the Agates. The Romans sank the Carthaginian fleet, ending the First Punic War. So, off the western coast of Sicily, there was a um in in the islands of the Agates, the, um, the Roman army had borrowed money to build a naval fleet because they were almost bankrupt and extended a blockade to the sea. The Carthaginians assembled a larger fleet and then uh, the Romans still beat them <laughs> because they were undermanned and ill-trained Carthaginians. On the 10th of March 1972, Silent Running came out. This was an environmental-themed American post-apocalyptic science fiction film. I haven't seen it, but uh, DJ tells me it's a
1: yeah, it's, it, it's a nice film to to watch.
0: Yeah. Yes, and uh, an interesting link. So it's about a botanist being given orders to destroy the last of Earth's botany. Well, the um, actor Bruce Dern, who plays a botanist in the film, has a daughter, Laura Dern, known for playing a paleobotanist in Jurassic Park.
1: And this movie inspired um, Mystery Science Theater 3000.
0: As in as a whole, or was it a Mystery Science Theater episode? Uh, as a whole. Okay.
1: Yeah. There's, uh Joel Hod- Hodgson, um, creator of Mystery Science Theater 3000, credits Silent Running as a major inspiration for his show. Okay. And this was, and also this was Douglas Turnbull's first film and he did not know how to direct.
0: Yeah, actually, I'm looking at the reception section on Wikipedia. I I might just be thinking that because it inspired MST3K that it's a classic, but it uh, doesn't sound very good. <laughs> So on the 10th of March, 2000, the NASDAQ Composite Stock Market Index peaked at 5,132.52, signalling the beginning of the end of the dot-com boom, the time when you could make money by just including the word internet in your business plan. <laughs> Unfortunately, the uh, internet didn't quite work out the way they thought it would, but it's still pretty cool. Yeah. But that's all we have for this week. So DJ, where can they find us?
1: Um, they can find us on Facebook um, Twitter Instagram um, most of our most of the details will be on our show notes um, they can also find us on dot com, where we have an archive of our old episodes and merchandise
0: and you can check out the other that's not canon podcast do you uh, have any recommendations
1: DJ um lancing with myself
0: yes we um, mentioned that one last week have you listen to it
1: um i have been listening to it on and off so it, it but it's good to talk uh, to listen to my games development from a different set of eyes
0: yeah honestly i probably spend more time listening to uh podcasts about game development from tnc than i do actually game developing in an average week yeah i've had a couple come and go yeah
1: you've got you've got podcasts as well to that you recommend
0: uh well i've been listening to Scared shitless
1: Oh, nice.
0: Yeah, it's a fairly new one, but uh, it's about horrifying things by a guy who was terrified of horrifying things. <laughs> so the some of his recent episodes are about exorcisms. Um, Albert Fish, who is a cannibal, and I actually haven't listened to that one yet, but um, I'm hoping they've got a reading of the Albert Fish letter because he wrote this. I, I won't go into detail here because this is not the place, but he wrote this really horrifying letter to the family of the uh, of one of his victims.
1: Hmm. I should have a look at it, actually.
0: Yes, it's good. But um, that's all, uh, all we have for this week. So stay hydrated and look after yourselves. Don't get coronavirus.
1: <laughs> See you next week. See you guys. Is
0: that it? You, come on, enthusiasm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> See
0: you guys. Enthusiasm.